What's going on, y'all? It's Jared, the Layup Tech. Give you what you need at Tech News and Lagging Interviews. Today on this podcast, switching up a little bit, not talking about no tech or business. We are strictly talking about sports, mainly the New Orleans Saints. So if you want to hear my commentary on the appearing as a guest on The Blitz with Rob and Chris, stay tuned. If not, you should still listen to it because it was pretty entertaining, pretty funny. We complained a lot. We made some great analysis. I had a great time on that show. So uh, for no further ado, let's go. Welcome to the Blitz with Rob and Chris. Yeah, we, we got the gat all right. We got smoke this weekend, man. We should have <laughs> played some some, few, some second line music because they ran our ass out the building. But uh, we back, y'all. We kind of depressed, but uh, Rob, what it do out there? Man, listen, this is a Louisiana-based podcast. The Tulane Green Wave won their bowl game. UL went in there and won their bowl game last night. LSU about to win the national championship on Monday. Louisiana still runs football. This state is still number one, and I'm still screaming, who that, baby? Let's go. Yeah, I don't know about all that, but anyway, we got, <laughs> we got our boy Jared in the house. Jared, give him, give him a little something. What's going on, y'all? This is Jared, you know what I'm saying? I'm laying up tech. I'm a tech guy, but after, after this loss from this past weekend, I had to come say some words. I even got into it with some, my own Who That Nation fans. Um, once we get into the show, I share my comments, my views about the game. Go Tigers, especially Roll Wave, Tulane, because I went there, alumni. You know what I'm saying? So let's get into this podcast. I got a lot to say. <laughs> let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. So look, we're going we gonna to recap this game. We got a lot to say about this game. We've been talking about an hour before, you know, draining our sorrows out. So so let's jump right into it. So look, look, fellas, let's get right into it. Why did we lose the game? First, offensively, Rob, what you saw? We got out coached, right? We came out with the game plan. I heard all week that uh, Mackenzie Alexander and the fourth cornerback for the uh, Vikings, one was placed on IR, the other one wasn't going to be playing. It seemed like we came out with the game plan to throw the ball. And our front, our offensive line was dominated by their front four. They teed off. They did a lot of different things. Uh, as we talked about off the pod, they did what the Falcons did. They moved their D-tackle, their D-ends into the D-tackle position, dominated our guards. If you saw Pete, he was getting fooled all game. Everson Griffin was uh, coming in all uh, through his blocks. And uh, I think that our refusal to adjust to that, and I say refusal, I place a lot of the blame on Sean Payton. Our refusal to adjust the play calling by then counteracting that with putting Latavius Murray in the, in the game and... Um, giving him more carries. I think that was the ultimate uh, death to us in this game. Latavius Murray was on the field for 15 plays, got five carries. And in a game where, you know, their game plan was to basically get pressure up the middle and stop Drew Brees, double team um, Mike Thomas, we never counterpunched to that. And we had the talent, we had the skill sets to do it. And I just think that it was a failure in coaching. Jerry, what are your thoughts? One, of course, I'm giving blame. Number one goes to Sean Payton for not making adjustments. 
when he sees that uh, when Murray gets a game, he runs it, he gets in five, six yards and he's carried. Then he gives the ball to Taysom Hill. He runs, executes, gets a deep ball pass, gets the offense going, then he goes right back to Drew Brees. Um, also, a lot of people are not talking about it, which is crazy. Uh, Adam Thaline, David, how you pronounce his last name, was killing Marshawn Lattimore one-on-one. Um, he might not be killing him in deep ball, but he was getting a lot of third down conversions that was killing momentum for defense. Um, Some of my best memories so, growing up were cooking with mom. She so always said, game, so, yeah. it's okay. It shows that Sean Payton is very arrogant and stubborn. Um, he doesn't like to make adjustments from his game plans. Once you see from the eye, from this from a regular fan, you can see that Murray is a better running back than Camaro. You can see that Taysom Hill is exciting. He brings the offense alive when Taysom Hill takes, comes in and does some exciting stuff. Why you keep going with him? Uh, you can bring Brad Drew Brees eventually, but if he has momentum, keep it going. Uh, also, if you know you got beat bad by the Atlanta Falcons, why not make the coaching adjustments? Realize when you go to playoffs, everybody going to view all your game footage, especially the ones you lost. So why not correct the issue before you play your first playoff game? In my opinion, he did not have the Saints ready. Um, he took the Minnesota Vikings for grant, granted, and he got an ass beat. That was a lot. And I think we both have more if you give us each five more minutes to talk. <laughs> you know, since, since I, I, I'm, you know, trying to act as a host, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try to bring that all together. And, and, and break some of this down. All right, so so look, Jerry said a lot there. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, he sound like a, he sound like a frustrated fan. I yes. feel you. I yes. feel you. So you take a hold of frustration. I feel you. I feel you. So look, look, on offense, right? Rob Rob hit on it. Jared hit on it. I think for one, it was no consistency in the game plan. Like you just saw haphazard. I think Murray got like two or three two carries in the first quarter. You know, first two series. First drive. Yeah, and I think he finished with maybe four or five. Five carries. Right. Taysom Hill had two on the other scoring, the other touchdown drive. So yeah, the only one scattered out through the rest of the game. Right. Uh, Hill had four carries for fifty yards. Uh, Kamara didn't get many touches in terms of rushing attempts, but he, you know, he caught a couple passes. But it was just kind of half. Seven for twenty-one, and he had eight catches. Seven rushes, twenty-one yards, yeah. and he had eight catches. So I mean, I think the first thing that stood out was just the lack of lack of rushing attack. Like we we never committed to the run, and, and I think that was like a, a a standard theme throughout the year, Rob. I think we hit on it all year. It was two things that we hit on all year long. And it was lack to consistently establish a run, and also never having a, a true legit second option at wide receiver. Right. So we Michael Thomas was dominant. He set the record, all that. But when you get to the playoffs, and we talked about it all year. You get the best of the best, and you get teams that's going to game plan. And like Jared mentioned, Atlanta did the same thing to us on the defensive line. And this team focused on stopping Michael Thomas. Make somebody else beat you. And if you're going to put DNs at D-tackles, you got to run that shit right up the middle. And and we and we just never committed to doing it. And, and I feel like at times we rely, or, or Peyton relies too much on Drew Brees, and he gets lazy in his game plan and his play calling. And I, and I think that's what you saw. Now, all that being said, let's go to the last drive. It's 2020. Uh, I'm sorry. It's, it's 2017. Uh, the Saints are down. And it was a couple of things we talked about off the air that I want to get into. Uh, first was 
Kamara not getting out of bounds early on in a drive. Then there was the not lining up. Then then there was Taysom Hill off the back-to-back big runs. We got the ball first and 10 on the Vikings 25. We go in shotgun. And that's when, oh, I'm sorry, that was, that was the second-to-last drive. Yeah, those were two separate drives. Uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about the second-to-last drive with with the fumble, right? Because that, that was a big play in the game. All, the two-turner was Breeze had were big, but that second one was, was, you know, we were down, I believe, at that time, 2017. And we could have went, we took the lead or tied it there. Um, so what did y'all see? What was y'all thought process on the fumble? Who do you think gets the blame for the for the play? Listen, Ryan Ramchek got whipped on that play by by Daniel Hunter. So you have to you have to give him some blame, right? Uh, he set his feet out wide, and you see on the snap. I mean, he gets a good jump on the snap. Ramchek does. He jumps out wide. Daniel Hunter jumps inside, and he's overcommitted to the outside, and there's simply nothing he could do at that moment. But when you watch the play from the quarterback's perspective, he had enough time to either A, get rid of the ball, or B, go down. So that's where my blame shifts to a Hall of Fame quarterback who some would like to call the GOAT. In that moment, with everything going on and with what we need, we have the three points in the bag, you have to go down. Or you just throw it at the feet of Kamara, who's like somewhere in front of you. His argument, his response to that in the post-game presser is that someone ran the wrong route. I looked at the play over and over again. It looks like everybody ran a hook route except for Michael Thomas. So I think he was talking about Michael Thomas, who was on that play lined up in the slot. But in my opinion, Mike Thomas gets jammed, so he can't really run a comeback. So he just runs a a fly, it looks like, um, maybe as an option route. So, you know, Breeze kind of put some of the blame on Michael Thomas. So you got three people you could potentially put the blame on. But I think you have to give the lion's share of the blame to Drew Breeze because offensive linemen are going to get beat every now and then, especially when you're passing the ball so much and you're playing against a really, really good defensive line. But you cannot, you simply cannot fumble the ball at that point in the game in that position. My opinion on that play, um, it comes down, for the last three seasons, I've been yelling to the Huda Nation that we need to rid of Drew Brees for his lack of mobility. He cannot escape when he feels pressure and it, it is a huge risk and it cost us this season right now because he cannot move when he had pressure on Also, I don't think he's fully healed because when a defensive player hit his elbow, he immediately dropped the ball. So then to me, that signals that he wasn't fully healed. He was just so worried about losing his starting position for the rise of Teddy uh, Bridgewater that he was doing, willing to do anything to get back. Uh, second, I also do blame the offensive lineman, um, Ramchak, for not being, you know, proficient in doing his job. But at the same time, Sean Payton needs to correct this situation before the game even started. Also, if you know, if you are head coach, Super Bowl winning head coach, and you notice that they're running defensive ends in the defensive attack position, why not make an in-game adjustment? Right. Why not fix it right there and that? Why keep running what you're saying game plan? If you see Taysom Hill, they couldn't stop him when he came in the game. Every time, every time he got the ball, he did something amazing. Give him the ball. I mean, it all balls down to coaching, and as well as Drew Brees not being uh, having great ball security. Is this a frustrating thing that we got to deal with? Uh, hopefully, Drew Brees goes into retirement, so we we'll have to pay him. <laughs> Thirty-seven million dollars, which I thought, which is crazy. I would never pay him that much. 
which I saw going around social media. Uh, hopefully, Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill come back as our quarterbacks, and we draft another young quarterback. And Jared teasing all our next topics. Oh, I'm, and sorry, stuff. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> nah, that's all. But listen, listen. That was a. Played by Daniel Hunter, who I might add as an LSU alum. Just run it out there. Isn't, but, isn't uh, he also among the he's if he's not the top paid defensive end in the league, he's gotta be top three, right? Yeah, I, I'm yeah. not sure he got yeah, he, he did get paid. I mean, when he when he got paid, I believe he was the top paid. Okay. But I don't other people have been paid since then, I think. I mean, he's definitely a top five defensive end in the game right now. And I'm I'm not gonna lie, like Drew can't fumble there, but that was a hell of a play. And I think what happened was on that play specifically is Drew was worried about getting sacked because he had his arm out. And I don't ever think he saw Daniel's Hunter right arm come from behind him and hit his elbow. And I think that's how he fumbled because I, I don't think he had any awareness that that dude was coming at his elbow from behind. Right, because um, he's bringing his arm back. So it's like the momentum of you bringing your arm back and his arm coming forward, you know. Yeah, the shock factor. I think he just wasn't prepared for it. But in saying all that, Jared, I think you hit it on the head, right? It starts with the play call. First and 10 from the Vikings 25. Taysom Hill just ran like 40 yards and broke 70 tackles. Right, dragging defense. You got the defense on their heels and you come out not only in a pass play, but you come out in shotgun and you give a guy like Daniel Hunter the ability to pin his ears back and go without the thought of a run play. And as good as Ramshack is, Daniel's Hunter just as good, if not better. And when you know what's coming, it's hard to defend. It is hard to defend. And you put the offensive lineman at a disadvantage. So I think the most blame goes to Sean Payton for the play call. And then secondly, it goes to Breeze because – as you mentioned, Rob, like if it's not there, you gotta throw it away. That's what you did on the screen pass on the last drive, right? It wasn't open, you threw it to the ground. You got don't try to stiff arm a, a 6'4, 255 pound defensive end. <laughs> like you don't have any chance. So so you know, I, I think it starts with Peyton and it, and it shifts to Breeze. You just can't make that mistake. And I think right there, all Stakes fans felt like that was the game. Even though we tied it up and they were in the regulation, I don't think anybody felt good about it. But on that last drive, I want to talk something quickly. First, Kamara got to get out of bounds on, on those first two plays. Uh, one, he jukes back in, which he never does. And the second one is something he's done a couple times. And Rob, you've called him out. And that's anticipating getting hit and falling to the ground. And he falls with nobody within seven or eight yards of him. So he not only could he have gotten extra yards, he probably could have got a first down and got out of bounds. He didn't, didn't either. I mean, those um, two play com- those two plays combined probably put another twenty seconds back on the clock. Correct, correct. And then the real play I want to get to is um, Kamara not lining up pro- correctly after Jared Cook, you know, runs through three or four guys and gets the first down, and we get called for illegal shift. Another ten. Was- now you, now, you had, now you had 30 seconds that we just lost. Right. And, and, and so, 10 second runoff. And then 10 second runoff, right? So when you were there, it was 21 seconds left when we had a timeout. Mm-hmm. We lose a 10 second runoff instead of using a timeout, and it leaves us 11 seconds. We try screen pass to Kamara, throw it away, it doesn't work, and we kick a field goal. So, my question to you guys is how do you feel about not taking a timeout there? I know Peyton and Breeze kind of gave the explanation of you always want to have a timeout in your pocket, but I don't see going to overtime, leaving a timeout on the board. Yeah, I mean, realistically, it seems like they wanted to call another play, right? Because they went out there and called a screen pass. It just got sniffed out. 
everybody looked like they were ready for that screen pass. If you remember, that's the same screen we ran with Teddy Bridgewater when we threw it to uh, Kamara. I think at the end of the first half against the Seahawks, he scored a touchdown. So I think that Peyton was hoping it would pop. I'm just let me say this, man. The Vikings were so much better prepared than we were. They looked like a team who's been sitting at the sixth seed, knowing they were going to be the sixth seed, scouting our asses and resting their players for three weeks. Somebody mentioned earlier Thielen going off. Thielen's got like 400 yards in the season, hadn't done much over the last four games, played maybe two or, th- or a half of, of one of the four. They had scouted us. They were ready for us. So I think we saved that time out to call that screen pass um, or to call out one of our best plays and then use the timeout. And that one of those best plays was the screen pass. And then they sniffed it out. So we threw it into the ground. And now you just end up not only wasting the timeout, but you gave up the 10 seconds. Um, you know, there's a lot more I can say about that. First of all, we should have had three timeouts because we shouldn't have had to use the one at the seven minute mark to call a play on third and one. Um, you know, but we were where we were. Uh, I just feel like if that screen pass was all we had, man, like, we probably should have called the timeout, had it at 21 seconds. And we didn't throw any passes to the sideline on that two-minute drive. We didn't get out of bounds once in that two-minute drive. Um, right. I just think there were just a lot of failures there. And it worked out the way it worked out, I mean, in terms of us going into the, the, the end of the game with timeout. Obviously, they didn't want that, but the screen didn't work on, on second down. So we, just, we, we seemed to lack urgency and awareness on that last drive. Right, right. Which is something you don't typically see. But again, I think it was really good coaching. I think that they played a zone where they funneled everything back to the middle of the field and they forced Drew Brees to essentially take the throws to the middle. And then, you know, which is funny because that's what we couldn't do when the Minnesota miracle happened. We literally let them get out of bounds every play. Um, But they forced everything to the middle. We took what they gave us. Some of that might have to do with arm strength, right? Um, so he took what he was given and what he could complete. And then that essentially allowed the clock to run. And then all of a sudden, like, you're thinking, being used to this Saints offense, we should be able to score seven in a minute and 55 with no problem. We marched down the field and did it against us, the 49ers. But this was a team that had been preparing for us, like I said, looks like for at least a month. I'm going to go ahead and take it back a week. Um, when we were playing the Carolina Panthers. Um, at halftime, we had the Panthers 35-3, to right? So at that time, if you are a head coach and you know you're going to the playoffs, you have a potential chance to go to the playoffs and even get a home field advantage, skip the first round, don't you think you should rest your first team starters? Can somebody please tell me what happened in the second half? Agreed. What happened in the second half? Man, what happened? You know what they happened. Kept we, starters we, in the game. Trying, in, in my opinion, he kept Drew Brees in the start lineup um, in his first <laughs> offensive string in the game for records. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, why would you keep him in there with have right. potential to get them hurt? You Drew Brees and Tom Brady are Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden. What'd you say, Rob? I said Drew Brees and Tom Brady are gonna be Tom. They're gonna be Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden, <laughs> running their respective franchises in the ground, chasing each other for a record. I, I think that's why it's clear. Like nobody believes either one of them is gonna retire. We all know their egos are too large. They are not about to stop doing this, and the rules are allowing them to do it. But I, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jackie. No, that's, that's fine. I agree with you, though. I mean, me personally, if I'm the head coach, I took my first string defense and offense out. 
and had Teddy Bridgewater continue with the rest of that game to get some reps just in case Drew Brees goes down in the playoffs. He has some repetition, be able to step in. I mean, it all comes down, at the end of the day, man, it all comes down to coaching. If I'm a coach, look, we were regular fans, and everybody in their mama could see that Murray is the better running back, right? When Kamara went down for those two weeks, who was the FedEx Offensive Player of the Week for right. two weeks? Murray. Who got the call from primetime for right. two weeks? No, I'm with you. Who was the number one defense for two weeks? No, I was hyping High defense. I was hyping him. You remember, you remember how often we talked on this podcast about the defensive snaps being limited based on our ability to run the ball and keep the exactly. defense, keep yeah. them on the sideline. And it also comes from Teddy Bridgewater when the defense are doing films, he goes in the film room with defense and tells them what a quarterback would do with their defense sets. He spends time with the defense. Everybody loves Teddy Bridgewater. Me personally, I think when Teddy Bridgewater is quarterback, everybody plays better because they love him for some reason. From the, I'm just saying, I don't know if y'all see it. Well, I see the team play better as a whole when Teddy Bridgewater was quarterback. Here's one thing I say about Teddy. There's a couple of passes that Drew attempted in this game and even the fumble. Those things I feel like Teddy would not have taken those chances. So as much as I critiqued Teddy when we first got on this podcast, about his refusal to take chances, those in, in this type of game, those were the plays that killed us. The interception at the end of the second half, the fumble that Brees took, even, uh, you know, the touchdown, the, when we kicked the field goal at the beginning of the game, there was an underneath pass to Kamara who could have scored. Um, there were just a number of different times, like a pass on first down to Traquan Smith before the interception on third. Breeze had somebody underneath, but he chose to throw the longer pass across the middle and Traquan Smith drops it. Teddy Bridgewater doesn't necessarily take those chances, and sometimes you benefit from the safer throws. Well, I was going to say, too, I think we, we talked about it, right? Peyton calls a different game yes. when Teddy's in there, right? He doesn't, not that he doesn't trust Teddy, but he doesn't have the same, uh, you know, just up tempo. He don't have the same faith. Let's just be honest. He don't have the same right. faith in right. Teddy. He don't have the same so trust. He, not that he yeah. doesn't trust, him, but he doesn't have the he doesn't have the type of trust that he's developed with Drew Brees. Right. With all all common sense and in and you know general football knowledge right we just ran three successful runs and all of a sudden i come out in five wide receivers with no backs in the backfield like that's conventional football wisdom right you bring all that because you trust Brees so much to the point where i think it impacts how he calls games and i think it impacts his in-game yes decisions because we all know you got to run that ball in the first half. In the second, you got to commit to the, if you're putting DNs at D tackle, you have to commit to the run. And I think, you know, we beating a dead horse, but I agree. I agree, Jared. I, I like Bridgewater because I think the team plays a little differently. That I think the way we operate yes. on offense, as a whole, the defense gets more rest. Yes. We control the clock more. You know, yes. all those things go hand in hand. Um, so we're we going to get to that, though. We're going to get to that. Let me, but, let me say one thing about the running game, because we talked about this in our in some of our uh, outside chats with friends. You know, the loss of Zach Line really impacts, I think, Sean Payton's willingness to run the ball. I think he has a lot of faith in Zach Line. He even runs with him sometimes on third and short. 
and he had a knee injury. Him and Eli Apple were the only inactives based on injury. We ran with um, Ortiz at fullback this game, but he only played 15 snaps. So realistically, and some of those were probably special teams. So realistic, I'm saying, I said 15 snaps. He played three snaps. So realistically, you were never in any I formation sets. And if you remember the Bears game when Latavius Murray took over and had like 132 yards, he dominated that game. A lot of that was with Zach Line at fullback. And Zach Line was quoted in the paper after the game talking about how much he and the offensive line love games like this where they get to impose their will. And they really hope that Sean Payton remembers this game and does it in the future. And I, I, want, I want to get to this right quick because – we, we talk about the running game, and, and I can't help. And this has this nothing to do with Latavius Murray. I think it's got to do with chemistry and trust and all that. But the one thing that, I, that as a Saints fan, I've been frustrated with for years is we've got this unconditional love for Drew Brees, but we're so quick to get rid of anybody else that has had an impact on his team. And I'm speaking specifically about Mark Ingram. This dude had a relationship with Kamara. All throughout Kamara's success, he always took a back seat and was happy with his role, understood his role, and still was a leader in the clubhouse. And the, the relationship he had with Kamara, I think, had an impact on Kamara's performance this year. And also, I think it had an impact on play calling. Because I think early on, Peyton didn't trust Murray because he just wasn't a part of the team in the past couple of years. Like, he trusted Ingram. And I think that... It telegraphs that, the plays. Early on, just... He got used to not really incorporating them in the offense. And, and, and as you saw last game, yes, yes, uh, a couple of days ago, he got five carries in a, in a playoff game where we all think he should have gotten multiple carries. So I, I think the loss of Ingram can it cannot be understated. Um, just like we think Breeze is important, it's other players who impact that team not only on the field but in the locker room. Please let me talk about Mark Ingram. I've been defending Mark Ingram since he – we drafted him, and um, a lot of Saints fans didn't like him because I believe his first two seasons he was injured, correct? Yeah. Um, and I kept telling him, I said, he's a he's a great talent. I mean, he won the Heisman. He's yeah. a great football player. And what I noticed when he went to the Ravens, he stepped up his locker room presence. And I believe we really missed that. I believe Drew Brees, once Mark Ingram left, Drew Brees tried to take over the locker room, him and Cam Jordan. But Mark Ingram was probably the stabilizer from Drew Brees' ego and offensive play calling. And Mark Ingram wasn't afraid to tell Sean Payton, give me the damn ball. Um, they got a couple of spats. You know what I'm saying? Yes, because him, him and Mark Ingram, me personally, from the sideline, going to Saints games, they didn't show it on TV, but they would be arguing. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Like, give me the ball. Mark Ingram would be telling him, give me the ball. And um, Mark Ingram, great locker room presence. He's a great leader. And I believe, like like Chris said, Kamara is really missing him. So Mark Ingram, like I told all of them doubters that hate that hated Mark Ingram, he got a thousand. What he got a thousand yard season? Oh yeah, now he's Pro Bowl, one of the top running backs in the league. Mark Ingram was one of the. When we lost him, I knew it would be a problem. So hopefully we get for that boy. Hopefully get murdered ball next season. So, I don't think it's a coincidence. You see what he's doing with Lamar Jackson. They got a similar relationship that you saw oh, with him coming out. He called an MVP. Exactly. And he is hype man. He is number one hype man. Yeah, and he's able to be the leader because now he's the elder statesman in that locker room on the offensive side of the ball. I will say now, you know, he left us probably for about $500,000 that we would have almost certainly matched. 
So I think that there was some other factors involved in everything. Yeah, I don't think he got Like, I think he knew that this offense is going to commit to featuring me and running the ball, whereas this offense is always going to be this question mark. I'm going to be second fiddle. And he just didn't feel like dealing with that anymore because you don't leave a team that should have been in the Super Bowl for $500,000 to go to the Baltimore Ravens unless you have some who at that time was a team that had lost in the wild card round, unless you kind of have some other reasons in your head that, you, that you're leaving. Lack of respect. They ain't offer that man enough money from the get-go. <laughs> I mean, we would have matched, but like I said, I feel like he obviously, you know, yeah, probably felt like I shouldn't have to ask you to match. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes you come with your best offer for your most important pieces. Like, we, we wouldn't do that right. to Breeze. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's kind of the play. Yeah. But Breeze so also wasn't taking no calls from nobody else back so defensively we're not going to talk a lot because I thought most part defense played well held him to 20 first half I thought the key for Minnesota though was Dalvin Cook he had almost 90 yards rushing for a team that hadn't allowed a 100 yard rushing and I'm still not sure he got to 100 yards he didn't he had a 94 he had 10 yards locked him down I think he had 84 in the first half but I think that was key giving them a 13 to 10 lead because they controlled the clock, as we mentioned. They got the turnover. They controlled the ball. They gave it to, to Cook, their workhorse, and made sure their best their best defense was to keep their offense on the field and not let ours get on the field. And the funny thing is, is, is that Mike Zimmer said it at halftime. Like, he didn't hide the fact that we are going to continue to just keep giving the ball, keep giving the ball to Dalvin Cook, and essentially limit your possessions and put the ball in your court, Sean Payton. And I think he's smart enough. Him and Sean Payton are personal friends. I think he's smart enough to know what impact that has on Sean Payton's mind when you limit his possessions. I think it makes him slightly panic and want to pass the ball. Yeah, exactly. You get a little urgency behind you. And they already he already wants to throw to begin with. So right. give us a little bit of deficit. Yeah, let me put a little pressure on him. Right. Um, and then it was a tale of two halves. The second half, Kirk Cousins. You like that? That boy <laughs> came out balling. I ain't gonna lie, he dropped a dime in overtime to uh, Adam Thielen, as, as Jared mentioned earlier. But um, let, let's get down to the play. And, and there's two things I want to talk about. First, I want to talk about the play. Y'all know the play that that won Minnesota the game. But after that, I want to talk about the lack of replay and just the rules implemented because of what happened to us against the Rams last year. Made no mistake about it. But I want to talk a little bit about what we, what y'all thought. Was it offensive pass interference? If it was, which I, I think we will agree it will be, would you have overturned it? Or do you think it should be overturned? And then do you see the NFL keeping the rule? So I know it's a couple oh, of questions. But. Oh, I, I, I still, I thought we were still talking about the defense because I wanted to talk about how Adam Thielen was cooking Marcus Lattimore long before he caught that 40-yard pass. He was, I mean, he was. Let's just be real. I felt like there was a more important play earlier in the game where we were down 13 to 10, right? And it was third and nine. We sent Demario Davis on a blitz. He goes blasting through and hits Kirk Cousins immediately. And Kirk Cousins essentially throws up a prayer. And Adam Thielen off the snap gives one step to the right. And Marshawn Lattimore jumps inside. Then he goes up straight up the field. And when the ball goes in the air, Marcus Lattimore is looking all around and can't even locate the ball. He then catches like a 20-something-yard pass for a first down. They go down the field and score a touchdown. They go up 20 to 10. To me, that was a huge moment in the game, so much so that when Lattimore comes off the field, he then engages in an argument with uh, Coach Payton and Aaron Glenn, the defensive backs coach. So to me, 
Thielen had like 400 yards in the season. He had 130 yards against us on Sunday. So he had been hurt most of the year, and maybe we slept on him because of that. But he came out, and other than Dalvin Cook, he was their lone offensive weapon. Um, so I thought that, like, and there was another play of third and nine where they threw a pass to Kyle Rudolph for like four yards, and Marcus Lattimore gave piss poor effort and whiffed on the tackle, and Kyle Rudolph got the first down. And I think they actually scored a touchdown on that drive as well. If not, they got a field goal. So there were two times where we could have got off the field in a game where points were at a premium, and Marcus Lattimore, who's supposed to be your number one corner, just makes horrible plays, low effort plays, and he just picked the worst game to have a bad game. We talked about it earlier in the season when he got beat up on by the Rams. And then it seemed like he was locked down for a few weeks. And then we get this performance in the playoffs. So, you know, the up and down, it's still the same with him. Like, you yeah, just, you don't get consistent effort that you need. He did his best impression of Eli Apple. Right. I mean, because Janoris Jenkins has, you know, the Jack Rabbit had Stephon Diggs on lock. Yeah. See, he had that boy frustrated. Right. Had him throwing his helmet on the sideline. So I thought that was really important with regard to the defense. I think the other thing with regard to the defense, you know, we talked a lot about early in the season, Marcus Davenport and Cam Jordan, and how they complement each other well. I don't know what Cam Jordan's sack numbers are since Marcus Davenport has gone down, but I'm thinking it's no more than like two or three after having like 14 before that. Right. There's not um, many. But then also, I think he his failure to set the edge. I think he got real comfortable doing a lot of things with Marcus Davenport being on the other side. And when Davenport went down and we were so much smaller now with Granderson or Hendrickson in there at D-tackle. I mean, I saw plays where Rudolph pushed Granderson five yards downfield. Hendrickson, there were plays where they blocked him with Thielen. That type of stuff would not happen with a six foot six, 275 pound Davenport on the field. Um, and so you needed more from uh, Cam Jordan and I don't really feel like we got that. No, definitely. So, so Jerry, offensive PI. <laughs> Man, I don't know what it is about the referees. I think they're still mad that we, that our team complained so much that they implemented the uh, P.I. instant replay rule and I think the referees all season had it out for us um, me personally I think they have not overturned 90% of the time they keep the call on the field mm-hmm. for all games throughout the entire season even the uh, official who gave uh, the head official for the NFL he gave yeah. an official statement saying yes that yes he never said it was not an offensive P.I. He just said they kept with the rule on the field because oh, I forgot yeah, his statement. It didn't rise to the level of it was a choir flag and it was consistent with the calls that they had been calling all season. And he said that the defender initiated the contact. That, that was Al Riveron made that statement. I'm so tired of hearing his name. Uh, behind exactly. But earlier, if Shannon Sharp, if y'all don't know who Shannon Sharp is, he's a Hall of Fame tight end, played for the Denver Broncos and the Baltimore Ravens. He said it himself, and he's a tight end. He said it was offensive pass and defense. And he said if it was referee, he would have called it. I mean, I know the referees are upset that we uh, created this uh, offensive pass, um, pass interference in general, instant replay, because they missed a blown call from last season. But at the same time, 
Don't y'all think y'all old school? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, y'all blow so many calls, not even for the Saints, but every game, every week. And y'all think y'all think I should just get it right this one time? Hopefully next year, I know they've been having talks that they're going to have a referee who his whole sole job is to look at all his three, all calls. Hopefully they implement that. Hopefully this won't happen to any other teams next season. The officiating this year has been horrible. Horrible. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying because yeah. I'm Saints man, but it's been horrible. All oh, fans man. have complained about the officiating. And they need to do something. I don't know why they're not finding them. I don't know why they just let them get away with it because fans are getting fed up. I mean, I think, me personally, I think it's going to be to the point where fans are going to stop buying season tickets because yeah. they're getting tired of all the missed calls. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, what y'all going to do? Like, the NFL needs to step up. And I think it comes to a point where pass interference is such a bang-bang play. Like, I think it was a, a game, like, early in the season, week five, week six, something like that, the Jets were playing somebody. And they played, it was like 30, 19, Donald threw it. I don't even think it went 10 yards, but the receiver got hit a little early. They didn't call anything. The team challenged. Mm. The Jets challenged it. And they wound up calling pass interference. And I think you get into this great area with this replay where they don't want to overturn a, a last second play like what happened in the Saints last week. But they overturned a meaningless game in right. week six <laughs> where the pass was 10 yards short of the first down anyways. But technically it was pass interference. Like, the whole point of a judgment call is you got to take certain factors into consideration. The, the time in the game, the moment in the game, how was it impacted? Would, would the player have been tackled immediately, even if he was allowed to catch it? Like, all those things go into play. And, and I think it happened uh, on Christmas Day with LeBron, right? Mm-hmm. He went up for a shot. Beverly tipped it out. Six years ago, that, that's the Lakers ball. Right. Whether right. he win or yeah. not, it don't yeah. matter. Exactly. That's the Lakers. Like, you knocked it out of my hands. It's my ball. Exactly. But now when you go to instant replay, he tipped it and it went off of LeBron fingertips and it's just like the shit ain't that complicated right. like sometimes <laughs> just your, you know it's my ball right? you know what I mean so I, I worry about like over like you said the, the, the officiating is poor and that's with replay right so it's like replay like almost emphasizes how poor the officiating is and so that's why personally yeah it was offensive pass interference but I don't think anybody would have called it given the situation um and, and I, I certainly wouldn't have overturned it if I was on the I, field either. I disagree. To be with honest, that. I think it was the other way around. And if the Saints in the same situation, I believe they would have called the Panthers' appearance. I'm not I, even gonna lie. I I don't feel like I. If I were Saints fan, I'd have been sick if they called that on us. Let me start there. But right. we watched the 49ers game. We had this podcast and we talked about there was a crucial drive in that game where we were driving down the field and they called offensive pass interference on Mike Thomas on a crucial first down catch for an arm extended. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like we haven't been hit with that call before. You know, so to say that no official calls that maybe because of the timing, but there was literally nothing. If you don't call that, there's nothing that PJ Williams can do. At the moment where he should be turning his head around, his body is jolting back from being pushed in the chest by a 6'6", 250-pound tight end. Like, he can't even play the ball through and smack it out the dude's hands because the guy's created enough separation. There's a reason that the rule exists, and it's for that situation. With that being said, it happens all the time in the NFL, and I didn't expect to get the call. And honestly, if they would have given us the call, everybody would have just said, oh, that's a... Make up, make up a makeup call. call from last year. Honestly, I probably would have taken it, but 
I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to hear everybody's mouth for the, you know. Listen, year. I ain't nobody wants Saints to win more than me. I trust me. The only way PJ Williams was making a play is if Kirk Cousins threw that ball between the two and the six in his back. All right. <laughs> he ain't never turned Kirk, his head. PJ Williams made a play on Kyle Rudolph early in the game on a slant route where he jumped inside and almost intercepted the ball. So the first I of mean, his career. Dropped. He was, I mean, he was probably and he, and he dropped it, and it was funny because on that play, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck wanted to instant replay it five times and bring all the replay officials on to say there should have been a pass interference. But after this play, the officials literally ran off the field, and now River Round wants to tell us that they reviewed it. Listen, I'm not mad about it not being called because I think we should have won for other reasons. We should have won based on other stuff, and so to me, like it is what it is. But was that the offensive pass interference? Hell yeah! And honestly, I. I don't, like I said, I don't think there's any other way that P.J. Williams can make a play if you allow the offensive player to do what he did in that situation. Like you're essentially rendering, you know, a, a, a defensive back, you know, you're taking his hands away from him because if somebody can push him away right before the ball gets there, well, he can't play the ball. Now, I'm saying all of that, but I think the worst flag in the game was the blindside block that was called in the third quarter when Deontay Harris returns the punt to the 43-yard line with 13 yards out of field goal range, down 13 to 10. And instead, they put the ball back on the 20 or the 15-yard line, and Drew Brees gets sacked on the first play. Completely changes the game, right? And that wasn't a blindside block. The, 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 the gunner is running down the field. He gets past the first guy. JT Gray comes from the side. He sees him, and JT Gray just hit him hard. This is still football. To me, that was the worst flag because, you know, all of that impacts. You, you essentially took points off the board there, right? Because we would have been 13 yards out of field goal range. And instead, we started the drive on the 15 and then get sacked back to the 10. And, you know, the drive is over just like that. So, you know, the officials made some mistakes. Overall, it was a fairly evenly ref game in terms of the flags that were thrown. Um, but, you know, those two plays loomed really large. I also want to circle back on that uh, touchdown play with Rudolph. I'm Sean Payton, and I see P.J. Williams guarding <laughs> Rudolph in coverage by himself, man to man. I'm calling the timeout. But realistically, like, who? What, what do you change? Because they're calling a zero blitz, and I saw the Patriots do the same defense in the same exact situation. They were playing the Jets, all mind you, because Sam DeArnold, they knew he was just going to, you know, ruin it and toss out the back of the end zone but what do you call in that situation um a lot of people say that the zero blitz on a third down where they have to score you want to make the quarterback make a quick decision get it out and hope for a bad throw so i mean if you're doing that you have to play man because you're you leave you got no safety i don't i don't mind a defensive my my whole frustration was he didn't get hands on him at the line of scrimmage if you're going to run a zero blitz you got to try to prevent the man from running the route and then he did. That's the reason that Al Riveron said it wasn't pass interference because he said P.J. Williams touched him first. Well, that was a horrible job of us. Okay, <laughs> and, and then he never turned his head, which he never does anyway. He never. None, none of our cornerbacks do, except for maybe Lattimore once in a while and C.J. Garner once in a while. But other than that, I mean, is I mean, watch it again. You'll see. He's being pushed in the chest the moment where he oh, will I, be turning around from the ball. He's being pushed in the chest, but he's looking straight at Kyle Rudolph when the ball is midair, like. Right, but you're not supposed to turn too early. You you were supposed to wait till the defender reaches his hands up, and then you look back when he's going up. He's pushing you in the chest right before he puts his hand up. So how are you supposed to get your like? How are you supposed to turn? He never around? turned his head. 
Now, right. The defensive back is taught that when the person's hands start to go up, you turn back for the ball. When he's looking back and starts to put his hands up, if he pushes you first and you go back, you don't have the opportunity to turn around because now too much space is created. When you turn around, there's gonna the ball's gonna just sail over your head. So at that point, all he's trying to do is play through the ball in the in the tight end's hands. But at that point, enough separation was created where he couldn't even do that, which is why I say everything that you're taught as a defensive back was rendered useless based on the fact that he was able to push you and create that separation. He would never. This is a few, this is a this is a form of defensive back talk. I'm just telling you that's what they teach us. I'm, I'm just convinced. he took it all. He took it. He took it all away with the push. There's a reason that the rule exists. I've seen him too many times. Never turned the table. So so listen, my last question to you, Rob: Should the NFL keep the uh, keep the replay? I mean, if they're not going to use it, they shouldn't keep it. Because, like, I think, you know, Jared's earlier point is this. His earlier point is, like, and I, or maybe it was you that was saying, like, at a certain point, there's so much technology that it just becomes offensive as a fan to have to sit here and watch an instant replay, know what should happen, and then they just don't do it. So, like, stop putting it there for me to hope that it's going to be made right if you're just not going to make it right. And then when they do actually reverse stuff, it just starts to seem haphazard because so many times they just don't. I mean, we can go back to the Seahawks uh, 49ers game at the end where the guy clearly held um, the, exactly. the tight end and they chose not to review that. Two plays that just completely changed the outlook of the same season and Riveron gave the same excuse. Oh, well, they were just kind of hand fighting. And that's my um, thing. Like, I mean, at that point, we're going to review everything. They don't even have officials on the field. Right. Like, let's just let just them have a right. from the booth. Yeah, and just play the game, you know? So. Put a headset. Yeah, you leave some people on the field and put a headset in their ear and... Right, exactly. Just tell them what to call. Right, and everybody just communicate. So you know, we went we went a little long, but I think everybody was a little frustrated. So we had to, we had to get that off our chest. Get it out. We got it out. <laughs> so I want to cover a few other things before we move on. Saints legacy, like we got to yeah, start. This is the part that we need to breeze through, right? Here. I don't talk about these looks. <laughs> We got to talk about Sean Payton and Drew Brees. You're talking about 15 years, the, the, the most successful run in franchise history. And, and if you look at it, the last 15 years, we've probably been the most consistent team outside of the Patriots in terms of, you know, having fielded teams that, that you felt could. Like out of, out of the last 15 years, I say we had at least five teams with realistic shots at, at, realistic shot at winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, there was a stat for like uh, since 2010, most games won. The Patriots were at number one with 141. I think the next best team was 121. We were in the top five though. The Packers were in there, the Steelers were in there. I think we had 112. Um, so, but we were in the top five since 2010. Definitely, and I, I mean, you know, and, and, and it shows by this last three years, we've been so consistent. So, however, we've lost the last three years in the playoffs. Twice at home, which was supposed to be a big advantage for us. And, and frankly, we've been outcoached the last three years. And Breeze has been outplayed the last couple games, uh, last couple losses. In the last three years, in, in this, this this big run we've had, where Breeze and the Saints are two and three in the postseason. Breeze for his career is eight and eight. So, you know, how do y'all feel about Sean Payton? How do you feel about Drew Breeze? I'll, I'll say that I think this game is the has the biggest negative impact on the legacy. I think that we all felt we were a year early with the Minnesota Miracle, but I will say that in the Minnesota Miracle, we had the opportunity to put that game away by driving down and scoring a touchdown. Instead, we kicked this field goal, um, and then they come down the other way and score a touchdown. 
a lot of people would say that those are the situations that Tom Brady throughout his career has made the most of, and he wouldn't have even given the Minnesota Vikings an opportunity to come down and score because he would have put the game away with a touchdown. The next year, yeah, you have the the pass interference that was not called, but on first down, Breeze has an incomplete pass to Mike Thomas that if he catches, if that ball is thrown higher into Mike Thomas' hands, he catches, he gets the first down, that game is over, right? And then you had overtime. He threw an interception. If he drives down and scores a touchdown, that game is over because we got the ball first. Then you come this year, and again, you know, if he doesn't fumble, if he doesn't throw the interception, there's multiple plays. Kirk Cousins out flat out outplayed him, right, this game. So I think when you look at legacy, you have to look at the last three postseasons. Years before that, everybody was saying 7-9, 7-9 because we had no defense. We got him a defense. We got him some running backs. And he has not made the transcendent plays that you would expect him to make in the biggest moments of the biggest playoff game. So and I, I want to fix. You, you can't forget that the season after the Super Bowl, we lost to 7-9 Seattle team in Seattle. Right, Grand on the road. And, and, that, and that was another one that we chose to blame on the defense because of the Marshawn Lynch long run. But again, Breeze didn't have a great game that Offense game. didn't have a great game. Right. And, and I think at some point, you look at the one magical run we had against, you know, in one of the Super Bowl. It was when our run game was at its best. Right. And you got to start looking at Sean Payton. As great as he is, year in and year out, always evolving the offense. When it comes to going against the best teams and the best coaches, we're getting out coached and we seem out we seem like we're being out prepared. The offense out-coached. never looks the same in the playoffs. Never. You see exactly. it every year, these four hundred yard passing games, four and five touchdowns, but we never see that in the playoffs from the New Orleans Saints. Tell me when we saw it. Even on our playoff run, we weren't putting up numbers like that against uh in our Super Bowl run up, I'm sorry. And then when you look at last year, we had a good second half against the Eagles. And I, if I remember correctly, their pass rusher went down in the first half. Uh, their D tackle was it a uh, Cole um, went down, which impacted the passing game, and, and we ended up winning that game. But still, that game got, came down to the wire because it was a um, a drop pass by Alshon Jeffrey that resulted in an interception. So all this high flying offense has not come to fruition in the moments that matter most. Everybody knows it's just like basketball. The game shortens, the possessions lessen. Everybody likes to run the ball. And then it becomes about whose front four or front five can impose their will on the other side. And that is an attitude. That's a mentality that you establish over the course of a 17-game season. And that's not what we do. We play finesse ball. Um, So to to Peyton's legacy, I think that's the same issue, right? You know, everything I just said, it impacts his legacy. But I will say that stat that I just ran off about top five teams and how we're in the top five, the only other team in that top five in terms of wins, including postseason since 2010, with more than one Super Bowl, was the Patriots. So I say all that to say that, you know, we're comparing ourselves to the best, but when you compare yourself to the Mike Tomlins and the McCarthys that were running the Packers and running the Steelers, Sean Payton is similarly situated. So he's in the second tier behind the GOAT. Um, I think our frustration exists because it's one minor tweak. It's literally one minor tweak. He right. has the pieces. Right. He has the mindset. We've seen him do it in the regular season. It's just he refused. Like it's it's just like an old bad habit that you can't kick, and we see the bad habit come out in the playoffs at the worst times. Well, my man Jared about to rip the mic off, so I'm gonna let him go. <laughs> at the end of the day. Sean Payton and Drew Brees are probably one of the greatest of the New Orleans Saints organization. Um, Sean Payton is one of the top coaches I've ever seen. 
he can make anybody in his system great, especially if there's a great quarterback with high intelligence great. Um, but at the end of the day, Sean Payton arrogance and being stubborn is his greatest weakness. If he makes the tweaks like great coaches like Bill Belichick or even um, coach from Alabama, I can't think of his name right now. I can't believe I'm thinking. Nick Saban. <laughs> Nick Saban. It's, 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 it's Peyton's own arrogance and stubbornness that keeps him from being having multiple Super Bowls because if anybody notices, when the game is on the line, he always want to refer to Drew Brees instead of going to a run game or, or going to another player. He just loves Drew Brees so much that he trusts him and just loves to run an up-tempo offense even when it's not necessary or not needed. Uh, Sean Payton, I think... After this loss, it's in my opinion, I believe this might be the best loss for our organization because Sean Payton probably just realized after this loss that it's time to move away from Drew Brees and focus on the team as a, as a whole instead of focus on 5,000-yard seasons, uh, being the best offense, top offense, but you ain't winning no Super Bowls. This probably will help us to succeed and get a Super Bowl next season. Once we fill out, find out who will be our quarterback for next season. All right, so let's stop beating around the bush. Jared, is Breeze our next quarterback? Is he, is he our quarterback next year? No, I would not. Because why would I invest so much money into a quarterback who's now mobile? Um, he can't throw the deep ball. And as you've seen for the last three seasons, all defenses realize he can't throw the deep ball. So why would you make him your franchise quarterback at 40 years old? Do you think the Saints bring him back next year? <laughs> I wouldn't. Man, let's not beat around the bush. Right? The problem is our family. We are from the south. Right. We don't Loyal, loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. Yeah, we have loyalty. I mean, you bring, I mean, I have gone in so many arguments with family members, friends, people on social media. It don't matter what Drew Brees said. I mean, even after this game, it was like, oh, Drew Brees just had a bad game. What? <laughs> what? You know it's how much the money playoffs. You know what I'm saying? This man gets so many breaks. It's ridiculous. I'm sorry. It's time to cut ties. I, I told people on social media. I gave everybody an example. The 49ers got rid of Joe Montana and had Steve Young. What they did? Won the Super, Super Bowl. The Packers got rid of Bre- uh, got rid of uh, Brett Favre. Tied their hands and get away from him. Super got Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl. At some point, you cannot hold on to the past if you want to succeed in the future. You have to let it go. You have to upgrade. You have to embrace change. But the problem with Southerners, especially in our great state of Louisiana, they don't like change. But it's time for them to wake up and get the Super Bowl ring. Look, look, <laughs> let me let me say this right quick, Rob, and I'm gonna let you go. Cause listen. Drew Brees will be our quarterback next year. Make no mistake about it. What? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. He will be our next quarterback. He will be our quarterback next year. Everybody knows how I feel about Drew. I said on a podcast last week, I believe he is the greatest quarterback based on his career, stats. Hmm, I believe that you would repeat that after the game we just watched, but keep going. Well, greatest quarterback of what? Hey, bro, all time of all time. Oh, but he, oh, he, got, oh, no, he no. got the records, bro. No, no, no. Bro. But listen, no, that, that's neither here nor there, right? No, that's neither no, here nor there. All I'm trying to state is I got a lot of love for the man, right? But 
as Saints fans, we have to get out of. We got too many fans. Our fan base, like you mentioned, is too loyal to the fact that they they're willing to to lose to ruin the future of the franchise to allow Drew Brees to go out on his own terms. Yes, Drew Brees helped rebuild the the the, the fan base, the the faith in the city. He helped encourage people in the rebuilding process after Katrina. But let's let's keep it real though. Let's let's keep it real, right? We were the only team that wanted Drew. We offered him a, a six-year, $60 million contract. Miami offered him a one-year prove-it deal. And he had no other offers on the team. So let's not act like he did us any favors. Mm-hmm. We were the one team that offered him $60 million when his shoulders basically came off the bar, 360-degree tag. Didn't he feel it physical from Dolphins? Yeah. He felt so, so he was on the So that's not – over the course of his career, he's made over $200 million just in salary alone, not not to mention all the endorsements that came with being a superstar in New Orleans and, and just the love he's been shown by the people. So my point is we don't owe – Drew Brees a goddamn thing. Amen. This, this man has made millions of – multi – his grandchildren, grandchildren are wealthy. Like, so we don't owe him anything. He's been great to us. We've been great to him. We've won, but now it is time to move on unless he's willing to take, you know, $18 million deal. And so we can, so he's no longer at a position where he gets 30 million 18. because he can't, 15. he can't, he can't win it by himself. In order for him to win it, he needs help. Same with Brady. So if you're going to be that kind of player who needs help, you got to take a deal which allows us to provide you with that help. So, yes, he will be back. I truly believe that because I don't think the Saints got the balls to let him go. But I believe if he really, truly cares about winning, he has got to take a $20 million or less deal to allow the Saints to build around him and give him the help that he needs. Go ahead, Ron. Yeah, I mean, I think the answers are yes and yes, right? Like, yes, he is going to be our quarterback yes he should be our quarterback given like the limited options like if i'm deciding next year who i want under center between him and and, um teddy bridgewater based on my sample size i mean i want drew Brees. i want him at less money so i can get more players and i want sean payton to call the game as if teddy bridgewater is the quarterback in in a perfect world that's what i get which means more runs less throws and you know, Drew takes less money, allows us to go out and get another wide receiver and, you know, just, you know, some additional depth. Just let me throw a hypothetical at you, Rob. Breeze making $25 million or Teddy making $15 million? Who would you take? Whew. That's tough. Take $15 million. I think you have to. Like $10 million, you could do a lot with $10 million and... I don't know. I, I mean, it's just because at a certain point, we don't have a plan for the future. Like, if we had somebody else on the roster, I, I'm throwing Taysom Hill out of the. There's no history of a 29-year-old quarterback making his first start in the NFL and, like, taking off from there. Who right? can't so, make the throw from the pot? And let's be honest, the 50-yarder Deontay Harris, he had to catch the shit like a punt. Well, yeah, I mean, if if, if we're being honest, he should have he should have thrown the ball immediately. He double clutched. He made sure he made the perfect throw. I'm glad it was completed. But the other side of that is there's a reason that he was throwing that and that Drew wasn't. And when's the last time we've seen Drew complete a pass like that? The one oh, he tried. Right. But, but it's only effective because the defense doesn't expect him to throw. Right. So I just don't want people right. to get enamored with, like, he's the next Lamar Jackson. Let's, yeah. let's so so the issue is right now we don't have a plan, you know, and, and – 
I don't know who at twenty. We have the twenty fourth draft selection. I don't know who would be available that you would get to make you feel comfortable moving on from Drew. So to me, that means that if you're picking between the two, um, and I, I need to also know what the cap numbers are going forward because twenty five might not be a, a very high number depending on what the cap number is uh, next year. I know that you know Drew Brees' number sometimes says twenty five, but then he's got all these incentives and carry forward money from other contracts and so sometimes that 25 is really him making more into the 30s the cap number shows 25 so um if it's a straight 25 that's probably not a bad deal considering where salaries have gone people like russell wilson ben roethlisberger aaron Rodgers, all way over 30 kirk cousins making guaranteed money 25 might not be the worst number um but just taking you at your point of that um like difference between the two of them I kind of think at that point you got to look at Terry I mean at the end of the day if I'm the general manager I'm not signing your I'm sorry I'm pissing <laughs> I'm you sorry. are you all the way off oh. the bandwagon I'm pissing everybody off like at the end of the day like the writing is on the wall like what else are we gonna do the man had three years go to the playoffs. Three years. And he's just, he did not succeed. I mean, we have two young gunners. We got Teddy Bridgewater. We got Teddy Smith. You might not believe they not might be the permanent future, but you could draft on the young quarterback. Me, personally, I would draft, if he's available, Jalen Hurst. We can talk about that in a later segment. Um, that's what that's who I would pick. Because um, if we sign Drew Brees, I'm telling you, we're going to have the same outcome next year. We're going to be great in the regular season. When it comes to the postseason, we're going to lose. I just know it. And then we have so many uh, free agents, unrestricted free agents, it's going to hinder our team getting signed. I just, I truly believe that Drew Brees could still be, any quarterback can be good when you have the element of surprise. The element of surprise is created by the other team not knowing what you're doing, which requires you to run the football to create the element of surprise. I think Drew Brees can still be successful in that. What I don't think he's necessarily successful in I think you need more like a Patrick Mahomes if you're just going to be dropping back every play, throwing the ball all over the field with a limited threat of the run. Like th- that person needs to be able to make every throw and run a little bit to escape some pressure. And we don't have that. And I, my thing is, do you trust Peyton to change with Breeze in the center? No. I don't. No. I don't. No, I don't. I don't. Even, well, even, I, at 40, even at 41, 42 years. Even at 41, 42 What I would say last year at the beginning of the season, all the way up to the midpoint, they ran the ball a lot. Um, and they held you breeze and they ran the ball, but toward the midpoint of the season in the playoffs, they like to do the ball more. And so, I think that's what we talked about. We felt like Kamara wore We felt like Kamara wore down, and that's what changed our, our impact or impacted the running game. When you're back the against the wall. They gonna come out throw. <laughs> but I also think what we talked about was the the good thing about having Ingram was the fact that Ingram could catch a lot out of the backfield. So when he was in the game, it didn't telegraph what you were running. I think that Peyton felt uncomfortable with Murray and going in with with Zach Line because he felt like well everybody now know they're just gonna load up against the run when I do that. Right. As which, opposed which to when Ingram back. was in the green and Ingram was in the game, he was still running screens. He was still throwing to him out of the backfield. Which goes back to why you need to keep Ingram and why you offer him something to make him exactly. not want to look. You right. know. Right. right. But uh, my, my last question on this before we go to free agent is the next quarterback to lead the Saints to the Super Bowl on the Saints roster. 
No, because I feel like we just said that we're going to bring Drew Brees back, which means Teddy Bridgewater is going to leave. By the time Drew Brees retires, Taysom Hill is going to be 31, 32 and have never really effectively started um, as a quarterback in the NFL. I don't think, you know, he's at a, and he'll have played all these other positions and be beat up. So, no, I don't think that either one of those guys is ultimately ever going to be a starter at quarterback for the Saints. I disagree. I disagree. I think we already have him. We, we have Teddy Bridgewater and we have Taysom Hill. Uh, I mean, before Teddy Bridgewater got hurt, remember he had the Vikings in the NFC Championship game and he lost to uh, Emma Rogers, if I'm not if I'm mistaken. Um, so I believe we have the roster. I believe we can win a Super Bowl without Drew Brees. It just takes the people in New Orleans and Louisiana <laughs> to realize Drew Brees is not God, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I'm telling you, if y'all see the Facebook comments I was getting for saying that we need to get rid of Drew Brees, my God, like, it's ridiculous. Like, people don't... Anybody who's listening, I'm not friends with this guy. <laughs> I, I don't know him. He randomly came on to be on the podcast. But, but, I, but I've, been saying this for, I've been saying this for three seasons. This is nothing new. I haven't... This is not the first I mean, season. listen, we're giving Drew Brees hell, but I listened to the post-game interviews. I think the, the other argument that was made is that essentially our interior offensive line, that being Pete and Warford mainly, just got abused by their front four and that Drew just didn't have the time. And if those dudes would have blocked better, like the game would have turned out totally different. But, but yeah, but again, I'm, I just, I'm just saying that's 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 the that's the alternative narrative that allows for people to talk to you the way they are about I agree. what you're saying. I agree. And I, I think it goes back to the point about salary, right? Like Drew Brees getting 35 million dollars right now, or 32, whatever it is, doesn't allow for us to solidify the the, the offensive line. Like you're gonna have holes when you're paying your quarterback over 30 million dollars, yes. and he's no longer in position to overcome some of the deficiencies so at that point if we're gonna win with drew he needs to take less money i mean we're supposed to have a really good offensive line my counter to that is more just that any good offensive line to appear good you have to again have the threat of the run and specifically if you got warford and pete who are 330 pound guys trying to block 270 pound ends in griffin um everson griffin and uh daniel hunter let them lean on those dudes. Let them wear those dudes out by running the ball and pounding those dudes. Every time they line up like that, you should be running. Run outside, make those D tackles, chase quicker guys on the outside, or run up the middle and let your guards push those smaller defensive ends up the field. And I also say, too, how many times in the past couple of years have we traded up to get Davenport, to get other players? We've given up future draft picks. So you don't have, you're not able to consistently draft high in a draft. We didn't have a first round draft pick this year. So that could have been a guard. That could have been a tap. You know, that could have been uh, a second wide receiver. So when you keep being in this win now mode and you go up and jump in a draft to get guy, you giving up. You got to give up something to get some. So you know, it, it goes both ways. So and say, I, I'll say this: I like Teddy. I think he's ready to lead a team. Does he have enough to lead us to the Super Bowl? Ugh, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough. One. That's a tough. One. But I do like him at a limited salary more than I like Breeze at $30 million. I, I do. Right. Um, but we'll see. I, I don't see a situation where Teddy would leave to go somewhere else because we ready. If if we sign Drew this year, he's gone. 
Oh, it's going to get this conversation now because we are signing Drew Brees. Like, let's just not do this. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. We're talking to Sean Payton in the post-game interview. who's talking about him and Drew Brees. I think we're in the locker room talking about tickets to the LSU championship game. They're friends. Best friends. He's not, he's not going anywhere. Drew and uh, Sean. They're best friends. Yeah. He's not going anywhere. So look, let's talk about Saints free agents. We got we got like a couple free agents on both sides of the ball. Stay or go? Quick, quick segment right here. Drew Brees. Go. Drew Brees is is going to stay. He probably should stay unless. Well, I think you got to make the free agency decision before the draft, right? So you just have to sign him. And if at twenty four you have a really good quarterback, I think you take him. And I think you know Brees shouldn't get more than a one year deal at this point. Yeah, you stay. Andrews Pete. Andrews P, I'm ready to, to part ways with Andrews P. What, when we were a champion, what we had was a dog at guard. We had, um, what's my guy, Carl Nix was a mauler, right? He had an attitude. He blocked with an attitude. He had character concerns coming out of the draft. I need a little bit of that in my offensive guard. Um, and then we had the heady guy in Jari Evans, but we had two really solid guards. If you watch the clips, and uh, I saw some on it, uh, Twitter, I'll repost them on our Twitter page. He was getting abused abused and he left the last he was out five weeks with a broken arm he came back against the Panthers he left that game he came back this week then got you know people spun around the bull rushed him I mean Linval Joseph pushed him over Everson Griffin spun around him he was a liability um yeah he's, that's also my, been, he's been consistently hurt that, that's my thing more than, oh, any, yeah, more than anything you can't count on it. We, I can't, I can't pay you big over. bucks and, and you, you miss half the season every then day then he leaves the thing to play okay yeah yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's always caught off the field. He can I think go. Warford left the game for a couple of snaps too. So, yeah, Pete can go. I'm done with him. Taysom Hill, he's restricted, but keep, we, keep, gotta, yeah, you gotta bring him back at this point. I mean, he's more than a backup quarterback. Like you said, he's might be our best tight end in the he's roster. Our best tight end for real. Yeah. I mean, he led our team in rushing this game. Yeah. He sealed the edge for Kamara's rushing touchdown. I mean, the dude is just you. He. We would have got blown out if he didn't play in this game. Right. So let me ask you all this. He is the first player I've seen being able to play all these uh, positions. Uh-huh. How much do you pay him? That's the problem. That's the question. Because you've never seen the player like him. Well, as a restricted free agent, I think it's just a matter of whatever the tender is for his level, which is probably not going to be more than a few million. Um, you know, two million. Right, and does a team get desperate with with the Deshaun Watsons, with the Lamar Jacksons, and think he could? He gonna get more money from well, if something like that happens. Then you let him go and you sign somebody like you draft somebody like Jalen Hurts. Dang. Yeah. He's a he's a part of my offense. I ain't let him go. I don't I don't see anybody offering crazy money, so I, I think he stays. And last but not least, Teddy Bear, Teddy Bridgewater. Man, man, me personally, that would be the, that would be the, one of the worst mistakes if we let him go. Because I mean, they, you got to. You, I mean, you. Seven, I mean, he's not gonna stay. I mean, I would keep him if he would be willing to stay. I just don't think at this point. Yeah, we paid him seven point five million. Like, you're not gonna take seven million for one year with somebody that's gonna give you three to sixty. Drew's forty one. You need to be drafting a quarterback anyway. Who needs to be your backup, right? Who you're not paying seven point five million dollars. After seven point five, you could be spending on uh, so many other positions. Uh, A real free safety who actually comes over the top and makes a play on the ball. Damn. 
Hey, hey, I, I, I've been nice to Marcus Williams long enough. We forgave him for the Minnesota Miracle, but when is he going to come over the top and actually play a ball? But just think, if we didn't have Teddy B, we could go on five without Drew. So you're talking about the difference between a three seed and making a playoff. Yeah, but that's why I'm saying you need to draft a legitimate backup, somebody who could potentially be your starter for the future. How about the left-handed Drew? Tua. Not going to cost it. He's going to be gone. Yeah, he's going to be gone. They're saying saying that Miami is still trying to draft him at the fifth overall pick, which is a little crazy to me. Um, But, yeah. Yeah, not at five. That's crazy for a guy coming off that type of opinion. All right, defense. Von Bell. Von Bell, in my opinion, is your most important free agent. There's a reason he recovered the fumble that Jack Rabbit forced, and the reason that he recovered the fumble that, or the one we all thought was a fumble initially, that Dalvin Cook. He's always around the ball, unlike number 43, who shall remain nameless. This guy is always there when a play needs to be made. You gotta pay him. Man, he, yeah, he he's he reminds me of another New Orleans native. Tyran Matthew yeah. and the Honey Badger. Just he's always around the ball this year. He, I he, could have had instead. We signed Kirk Coleman, who we're still paying five million dollars. Uh, how long Matthew contracted? Like three or four years. Oh, and he was going to Pro Bowl. He ain't going nowhere. He locked him. That was up. such a huge mistake. How do we sign Kirk Coleman over Tyran Matthew? I mean, by the end of the day, it probably was the best decision because he don't need. That is that is a fact. He yeah. don't need to be home. Yeah. So yeah. Although weed is becoming legal in most states now. (laughs) 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 uh, Moving on. Eli Apple. Walk. You found found your second corner in Jack Rabbit, and we're not paying Eli Apple to be a third corner. Yeah, I mean, that was the move. That's why we picked him up. We we let Eli Apple go. Him him and his mama. Yeah, we got it. AJ Klein. AJ Klein, I feel like, is the quarterback of our defense, but I kind of wonder if he is the reason that all these teams towards the end of the season started to run these stretch plays on us in halfback passes because they thought that while Demario Davis can play sideline to sideline, AJ Klein might not be able to. Um, so I am interested to know if, like, when Alex Anzalone comes back, if him next to Demario Davis and even Akiko Alonso, now you have some linebackers who can really run. Although Klein is our signal caller, like I wouldn't overpay him, basically. Like he's a good quarterback of the defense, and he was the one who made the tackle and forced the almost fumble on Dalvin Cook. So I would want to bring him back. But um, I do have concerns. As the game of football evolves and teams spread out, a guy like him is becoming more obsolete. I'll keep him, but I sound like a one, two year deal. Yeah, I, I think you got to keep. I mean, when you talk yeah. about guys yeah. we saw on the field this year at the end, Manti Teo, um, Craig Robinson. Yeah, I mean, like Klein is a luxury, especially with you know linebackers seem to get injured a lot just because they have so much contact. I, I say we keep them. PJ never got his head on a swivel. Williams. Uh, so PJ is a guy. If you're letting Robinson, uh, Patrick Robinson walk, uh, and you're letting. Um, uh, Eli Apple walk. PJ is a guy I would consider bringing back if there's a, not a high market for him. Because as you saw, like realistically, the dude probably played free safety better than Marcus Williams did. And that was his natural position coming out of high school. Um, and so, like, he's just a versatile defensive back that if, if I think you slide him behind CJ uh, Johnson, he's somebody that you can keep on the roster and he could play all over the field in the secondary for not a lot of money. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sold on him. I think I like CJ Garner. So if you're talking about a fourth corner, 
Um, I, I guess, like you said, just it really depends on the market. Yeah, if you're paying him fourth corner money, like that's a, I, I'm good with yeah, that. Exactly. I mean, at some point, there's not too many great fourth fourth corners in the league, you know. So correct. Uh, Who can also play safety? That's which is right. exactly what you need Personal. in the fourth corner. Um, defensively, David, uh, last guy, David uh, Anyamata. Well, at this point, he's damn near a starter because right. Sheldon Rankins and Marcus Davenport haven't shown that they can play 16 games plus the playoffs. So I think you got to bring him back because he's the one who's he's the one who's always healthy. They the ones always hurt. So yeah, he's our starter. Pay him. I'll pay him. Me personally, I will pay players. On a one two year contract with less money, but guaranteed. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. So you go sign other players. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know here. Like I like Anyamata, but you got Shy Tuttle, Mario Edwards Jr. stepped up a lot. So I think again, like you said, because Anyamata, I mean, there's need for defensive tackles in the league. So you got to be careful. Like there might be a market for a dude like that. Yeah, because early in the season when it was when it was Davenport Anyamata. Malcolm Brown and, and uh, Cam Jordan, I felt like that's when our run defense was the strongest. I felt like it kind of took a hit when Rankins came back. Like, he's a pass rusher who's coming off an Achilles injury, so his pass rush wasn't even up to where it had been the year before. Um, so, yeah, I don't feel like... Um, I feel like he was the better run stuffer, but then, you know, when the whole defensive line started to change, he kind of got lost in the shuffle. I felt like you didn't see as many plays from him. Right, definitely. So, look, I had a whole bunch of stuff to talk about on NFL coaches, but we we, we running long, so I'm going to skip the coaches. We'll hit them up next week, Rob. Let's go straight to the playoff matchups. we got four games. Um, just give our winners. Minnesota at San Francisco. San Francisco is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Who you got? Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this real easy for you. I'm picking all – I was going to say I was picking all the favorites. I'm picking all the favorites except uh, Green Bay versus Seattle. I'm picking Seattle to beat Green Bay. So, yeah, San Francisco, I think they're going to smoke Minnesota. I think we're going to feel embarrassed when we watch this game. They have the defensive line to shut Dalvin Cook down. They're going to make the Minnesota Vikings look like what we all knew they were. They are who we thought they were. Me personally. They're, win- they're winning cover is what I'm saying. Man, Vikings about to get blown up. For real talk. Yeah. They about to get blown up. Just like the Rams when the Super Bowl the Patriots, they about to get blown up. Because um, their coach is going to run the ball and play defense and stop the run, the basics. Right. Um, so, at the end of the day, me personally, in the NFC Championship, I really see Seattle and 49ers. Okay, okay. I, this is my thing. Like, I don't, I'm don't. i not a true believer in Kirk Cousins. But Garoppolo has never really been there before. You got a team that wasn't really expected to be where they are at the beginning of the year, the number one seed. However, I agree with y'all. Minnesota, on the road in New Orleans, got to go play Saturday on a short week and go all the way cross country to San Francisco. San Francisco is number one seed for a reason. They earned it. That defense is legit. And and again, I don't think... D D Ford and Quan Alexander will probably be back for this game. Yeah, I'm taking San Francisco to, to cover. Um, I'm with you. Um, Tennessee at Baltimore. Baltimore is a nine-point face. Baltimore going to smoke these fools next game. Man. Well, you know what? You know what? I'm picking the Titans. I'm not picking the Titans to win. Gotcha. But I think it's going to be a close game because the Titans, they play physical and they run the ball constantly. Yeah. But I think Lamar Jackson will go off more. 
You actually make a good point because with two teams that run the ball, that game is going to go by really fast. And to cover a nine-point spread might actually be difficult when both teams are just consistently running the ball. Keeping the clock moving. Baltimore runs the ball a lot, but they're explosive. Lamar Jackson is the best player in the league right now this year. He is the MVP. He's taking this league by storm. Tannehill threw for like 72 yards on 15 attempts and seven completions. They are going to get run out the building. All right, this game won't be close. Baltimore's going to jump on them early, take away Derrick Henry strictly by the score, and Tannehill will not be able to throw him back in the game. This is going to be a blowout. Take your money. Put the house on it. It's a blowout. It's easy payday. Easy payday. Uh, third game, Houston at Kansas City. Kansas City's a nine and a half point feed. Who you got? This, so these next two games, I think, might actually be good games. And and Kansas City's historically has kind of struggled on defense. Not the biggest fan of Steve Spagnola because his defense was terrible when he was in New Orleans. Um, so nine and a half point spread. I don't really know about that. I think Kansas City wins this game, but I think Deshaun Watson and um, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. You know, they get their shit off this game and and, and end up kind of making this a little bit closer than expected, especially if Will Fuller plays because Houston is historically much better when they have the deep threat and Will Fuller. So if he's playing, I'm going Kansas City wins, but doesn't cover the nine and a half points spread, which I think is, is kind of a lot. I think the uh, Kansas City and <laughs> I think Kansas City and Houston is going to be a close game, me personally. I think Deshaun Watson will step up. Uh, Patrick Mahomes will step up. But at the end of the game, I think whoever we have the, whoever has the ball last, they're going to win the game. That's what I really think. Well, I'll say this. Uh, Houston went week six into Kansas City and beat them 31-24. Yeah. However, Mahomes was gimpy. Tyreek Hill had just gotten back from, uh, from injury, although he, he busted 80 yard touchdown on him. Uh, I don't trust Bill... O'Brien. Okay, I, I don't trust Bill O'Brien. <laughs> however, however, he is going against he is going against Sean Payton times ten. You talk about a dude exactly. that's successful in a regular oh, season yeah. that never he shows up in playoffs because he refuses to run the football. It's an like Andy Reid coach team. Mm-hmm. All right, like nobody chokes more than Andy Reid. But if if you were ever to bet and feel confident on Andy Reid, it'd be against Bill O'Brien. So I'm going to go with Kansas City, but I don't think they cover. Nine and a half is a lot. I, I don't feel comfortable covering. But, but it's Kansas the biggest spring of the weekend. Kansas City. Kansas City. Yeah. Because, I mean, let's be honest. Houston should have lost last week. Yes. If, if not for Josh Jack. Allen. No, Deshaun Watson. And I think Brad and our, and our group chat made a good point that, you know, the, if not for the damn hitting of the quarterback rules, you can't hit him high and you can't hit him low. So these two guys converge on the quarterback and hit him at the same point and essentially bounce off. Back in the day, somebody would hit him at the ankles and somebody would hit him at the top and they would oh, yeah, knock his ass out. out right? When you do that in today's NFL, that's a flag. And he so it creates a situation. That NFC Championship <laughs> Saints Brett Favre fall hit you. Exactly. Right. right. Knock that ass out. Remember That's me, football. Remember. And, I, and I'm not going to re- – I'm not – I miss that football, all right? Like, yes, this is a grown man game. That's football. That's grown football. man. This is football, right? Like, and so now you rendered it. Now he up here throwing up the muscles like – he muscled his way out of it. No, they just couldn't hit you. Like, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I mean, that that's that game. Uh, Seattle at Green Bay. Green Bay is a four-point favorite. Who you got? 
I've been saying all year that Green Bay is overrated. I was hoping that the Saints would have the opportunity to prove it. I think Seattle proves it. I'm taking Russ on the road, in the cold, scrambling abilities. I think Aaron Rodgers really hasn't looked that great this year, maybe even like the last two years. Um, I just think that Seattle's going to win this. And and like uh, Jared said, I think we're going to have Seattle-San Fran for the third time in an NFC Championship rubber match. I agree with you, Rob. I believe Russell Wilson is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the league right now. And I don't believe the Packers – I believe the Packers are overrated as well. Um, Russell Wilson going to show up. Marshall Lynch might even have a 100-yard rushing game. You know what I'm saying? You never know. I don't Marshall think Marshall Lynch, Lynch will walk 100 yards. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, he played better than I expected last game. He did. So he, hey, I think Seattle was going to beat them. Um and it will be Seattle 49ers NFC Man, I'm taking the bad man down at Green Bay. Seattle is is beaten, bruised. They have literally no weapons. See, listen, Seattle won on the road last week, but Wentz got knocked out in the first quarter on a dirty plate. It, it and, was ugly. It was really they, ugly. They beat Josh McCown 17 <laughs> Yeah, it was actually shameful. All right. It, it, it made you feel like it, they really would have lost that game. Exactly. That's, that's my point. I, I agree. Green Bay has looked, they looked average and they lost to the bottom of the barrel teams. And, uh, you know, like the LA Chargers. So I'm not sold on Green Bay at all. And I love. They barely beat the Chiefs with Matt Moore at quarterback. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, like, that, that's, that's my thing. But, uh, First, to your wife. But, you know, and, and I love Russell Wilson. But. They, Only so much magic. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know if they can go into Green Bay with a depleted roster. And and, and, and like I said, they look average against the Eagles. So I'm taking Green Bay. I don't, I don't feel comfortable. Don't take that, 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 uh, you know, that one to Vegas. I don't feel too comfortable about that. That game, I think, could go either way. But I, I'll take Green Bay to cover. Uh, and, and I'm kind of mad at myself. Last topic, Rob, college football championship. Yeah, I've been on this bandwagon all year. Burrow, LSU, Ed O. You've been hating all year, and you finally come around to the good I've side. Come, I've come around. 50 to 30, Tigers, they, they, they bring it back to the dome, make all of us Louisiana citizens feel, you know, rejuvenated and, and like we actually belong in the football world. Uh, Clemson has lost their offensive coordinator. I think it was Jeff Scott that went to uh, UCF and Tony Yellett, their co-offensive coordinator, did not look good to me um, in his first game by himself calling the plays for um, for the Clemson Tigers. So I think that that's going to be advantage LSU. I think they're slight, they're better than Oklahoma, but that's only going to mean so much because I think that much like Oklahoma's defense, they're going to struggle struggle to stop LSU. Their defense has taken a major step back since losing four defensive linemen in the draft last year. Uh, defense didn't look that great against uh, Ohio State. So I think that they're able to score slightly more than Oklahoma, but I don't think that they're able to stop LSU. I'm, I'm thinking a high-scoring game, you know, 40-something high 20s, like 42-28, 51-31, something in, in that area. And I think uh, LSU wins and covers. Listen, I, I'm a rom-com fan. I'm not ashamed to admit it. There's, there's nothing worse than when you're watching a rom-com and they try to make some beautiful woman into like this nerdy girl who who nobody likes. And at the end, she becomes all beautiful, right? That that That's what Dabo Sweeney reminds me of. He's the jock 
who somehow is trying to make himself the the, the, the damn underdog, the, the kid being bullied. It's like, dude, you're in a 30-game winning streak. Stop with the disrespect comments and the disrespect, you know, woe is me, nobody believes in us. I don't want to hear, but I'll say this. In order for Clemson to win, they got to control the clock on offense with the running game like we talked about with the Saints, with Etienne. He's from Jennings, Louisiana. He, he I, I know he wants this game more than anybody on that team. They got to control the ball. Trevor Lawrence has to have a career. He has to have the best game of his career, and that's saying a lot because he won a national championship last year. But in order to beat this LSU team, he'd have to have the best game of his career. And the third key, I think, if Clemson wants to win, the Clemson DBs got a man up against LSU wide receivers because you can't sit in the zone. Auburn sat seven, eight men in the zone. Alabama tried to put seven in the zone. You can't sit back. Joe Burrow will pick you apart, and Joe Brady can create the mismatches needed. So you have to man up. Rob, me and you watched the Clemson-Ohio State game. They can't – I think LSU blows out either one of those teams. Both of those teams look pedestrian to me. They look good, but they didn't look great. And, and I, I'm not afraid of either one of these teams. I think LSU wins going away. I think they jump on them early like Oklahoma, and I, I think they win by at least 14 points. Um, it, it might get close in the end, but I think LSU wins going away by 14. Jerry, who you got? Go Tigers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, Clemson shouldn't even be in a championship game because if the Ohio State wide receiver would have continued running his routes, it would have been a touchdown. You know what I'm saying? It should be LSU and Ohio State, but the wide receiver, for some strange reason, decided to change his route because the quarterback read it perfectly and threw it perfectly, and the wide receiver just stopped. <sighs> LSU will beat these boys. It's time for Clemson to get, get their mind right. SEC is the best conference in college football. Said, I don't care what. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Clemson has been getting away. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to say that. The coach, he's a great coach. Of course, he's an Alabama Nick Saban prodigy. Um, but at the end of the day, they don't play anybody. They don't. LSU has oh, played God, Alabama. Poor forget Oh, Georgia. Georgia. And I don't think Dabo played under Nick Saban. Oh, that's what I'm saying. We played Alabama prior to Nick Saban. But we played the best teams in the country where we battle tested. That's why Oklahoma got that practice ass whooping on them. Yeah, they did. You know what I'm saying? So it's LSU all day. I mean, me personally, I would love to have a close game. LSU win at the last minute, but I would rather a blowout to show people that the SEC is the best conference. And if you want your top talent, Get it from the SEC. Oh yeah, you know. I mean, I mean <laughs> Clemson did smoke Alabama last year. Dude. Maybe I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Everybody relax. LSU just has a really good team this year. I don't know that that speaks to the entirety of the SEC. Let's just all relax. It's <laughs> an ACC fan. He a Florida State fan. Oh, okay. okay. And, and, and to Jarrett's Mike point. Norvell is about to build something over there at FSU. Y'all look out for us. You don't look out for us. Don't even insult this conversation. But bringing Mike Norvell. Anybody who knows Mike Norvell, look him up. He is calling All right? Nobody's worried about Mike Norvell. But in saying that, I just want to make one comment to Jared's point. A lot of people think Ohio State might, might have been a better team. They had a targeting call. But but let's get this straight. They'd have got their ass bust too. Oh, yeah. Most so they would have got their ass bust worse because they were one-dimensional. And as much as I like Josh Fields. I just want to like, make sure that this Justin Fields, I'm sorry. Yeah. lucky to be playing. No, I mean, no. This is, the, this is the game that we've been waiting for all year. It's the two premier college football quarterbacks 
this year's Heisman against the guy who's prop and probable number one pick versus likely next year's Heisman Trophy winner and, and number one pick. So we got the game we've been looking for. I would have rather Clemson have both of their offensive coordinators. But realistically, my point is that I don't think that Clemson has the defense to match up with LSU's offense, whereas I think LSU's defense can at least slow down Clemson. Exactly. Offense. I think it comes to who can make the most stops, and I think LSU can, can make more stops than Clemson. Um, the real Tigers win. Go Tigers. Um, I want to talk about the Pels, but we ran out of time. Zion, you better come back. I got four games left in my 12-game package, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I want somebody owe me money back if I, don't, if I don't see Zion at least one goddamn game. I agree with that. But, uh, Jared, anything to see before we go out? Oh, man, it's been a pleasure coming at this podcast. I enjoyed it. I didn't realize how passionate I was going to be about talking about these sports. <laughs> oh, I'm a tech guy. Um, so, Couldn't uh, tell. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a tech guy, but I love sports as well. So make sure y'all follow me at AtlantiapTech um, on all social media outlets, Twitter, Instagram. Hit me up on AtlantiapTech.com. I enjoy it. Hope y'all invite me back again. Because when the Go Tigers win this national championship, I don't want to hear nothing from ACC or what, 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 what's other conferences out there. Because I don't Big, know, cause Big we, Ten, oh, Big, Big Twelve, uh, fake conference. Are they really big? No, they're not. They ain't really big. They, they small. Yeah, I know. Cause small. You know, you know, SEC all day. All day. You know what I'm saying, Rob, what you got? Nothing, man. Roll wave, go Cajuns, and uh, I'm still not an LSU fan, but go Tigers. Go get some retribution for the state of Louisiana on Monday night. I'm going to go back out there to Fort Lauderdale to shuck and dive. I gave them a try for the playoff game. I felt like maybe this the spot is cursed, but I'm going to go back out there one more time. We're going to get this retribution and make things right on Monday night. Joe Burrow going to send us out with a win. We out of here, y'all. All right, I'm going to play some some uh, music in, in remembrance of our Saints 2019-2020 season. I hope it ain't Undertaker music. <laughs>